Hey there, Hope and Help podcast listeners, Christine here, and I wanted to take a minute before today's podcast episode to invite you to partner with the Institute for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship during our end-of-year giving campaign. For the entire month of December, IBCD is asking our supporters, subscribers, and listeners like you to join us as we seek to strengthen the local church in one another care. By making a donation of any amount today, you make it possible for us to produce free resources like this podcast, which reaches a growing global audience. Would you prayerfully consider partnering with us by making a one-time or recurring donation to our ministry? Visit ibcd.org forward slash donate to help us reach our fundraising goal before the new year comes. Thank you so much for your ongoing support and patronage. Now let's get on with the show. Hey friends, my name is Christine Chapel, and you're listening to the Hope and Help podcast from the Institute for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship, where we host biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. In this episode, I chat with Ed Welch about the topic of engaging grief and his new book, Someone I Know is Grieving, Caring with Humility and Compassion. For more help on today's topic, visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help, where you can access notes from today's episode and browse related resources from our digital library. Before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest. Ed is a faculty member and counselor at CCEF, where he has served since 1981. He holds a Doctor of Philosophy in Counseling from the University of Utah and a Master of Divinity from Biblical Theological Seminary. Ed is a licensed psychologist and has been active in local church ministry for decades. He has written numerous books, including When People Are Big and God is Small, Shame Interrupted, Side by Side, and Created to Draw Near. Hey there, Ed. Thank you so much for joining us once again for the Hope and Help podcast. I'm so excited to welcome you back to the show today. I look forward to it, Christine. I, I, I always look forward to it. You have written the resource, Someone I Know is Grieving, Caring with Humility and Compassion. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today, a conversation on hope and help for engaging grief. But before we do get started on that conversation, I wonder if you could spend a few minutes to share why you wanted to write a resource on this topic. I think, I think the momentum behind it was probably first hearing uh, how people said unedifying and sometimes harmful, sometimes destructive things, though unintentionally, to people who are going through hardships. So I think that's that's the first thing that, that got me thinking. The second was, and this happened decades ago, but it's, it always stayed with me, were dear friends who who had a tragedy in their life that was going to be a long-lasting tragedy. And I'll make the story very short. Essentially, what I did, I was so undone by it, I, I, I didn't say anything. And the person called the house a couple of times, and uh, I just gave the phone to my wife and said, here, you can, you can talk. And these dear friends, they confronted me and said, Ed, I know, I know you were affected by this, but you didn't say anything. 
you didn't say anything. And it was just so hard to not hear anything from you. So their their grace and love to me was very, very helpful. And it was a kind of turning point where I, I, I think initially it was, I see people and hear people saying things that are hard and unedifying for other people. But now I saw that I did the, the same thing. And, and so that was the second step. I think the third step was recognizing that Ephesians 4, we all are the ones who are called to care and do ministry. We are the ones who are equipped to do ministry, and we want to do it well. We Negatively, we want to do no harm. Positively, we want to be able to build up those who are suffering around us. Before we dive into some of the practical applications of caring with compassion and humility, I wonder if you could first kind of set the tone for the rest of the conversation by helping us to think about what it might feel like to be the person who we want to care well for. So maybe you could take some time to paint. I know that's, you know, a broad picture, of course, but maybe to paint even a broad picture of the felt reality of the person who is grieving and what they might be thinking or feeling in their season of sorrow. Yeah, that's a great question. In, In some ways, the question itself is important enough. What is it like for that particular person? Just just having that question, recognizing we don't have the whole answer to it, is, I think, an essential beginning, that there are many things we don't know that they're going through. But you, you speak to people over time, and you find that there are some similarities, even though each misery is its own misery. There are some similarities. When I heard, I think it was probably two weeks ago, from from a dear friend, he and his wife had lost a son. And it had been probably 12 years since they lost their son. And he just mentioned in passing that, yeah, things are different now. It was once that they simply cried. And they cried and they slept. And they cried and they slept. Then it went into a season where they cried. And sometimes they would actually smile as they remembered their son. And had conversations with others as they spoke about their son. And now, occasionally, they smile as they think about their son, and then they cry. Uh, so that was, that was one I heard recently, which I found to be very helpful. I went through Tim Challey's book on his suffering from the loss of his son as well. And some of the words I remember him saying, uh, almost as if the world was underwater, or he was underwater. The world around him was muffled. Sounds were distant. It's like he was far away. Life was being lived far out there somewhere, and he wasn't part of it. There was a kind of dullness um, of senses and of mind, a kind of cloud that he would live in, uh, that it's almost wandering around aimlessly at times. Shock, sometimes just overwhelmed with the, the reality of it. Bone weary was, I don't know if you use bone weary, but, but utterly exhausted. Crying is hard work. Grief is hard work. And it takes a toll on your body. Those were some of the things that, that I remember him identifying. He spoke about his universe collapsing. It's like everything in his world had fallen apart. It was one person he lost, but the loss affected absolutely everything in his world. So those are two things that one from a friend and another one from a friend as well, but from from the very thoughtful words he wrote in the book. I was going to ask you if you had any other words or images that you wanted to add to that. 
No, I was just going to share, and I don't remember the specific place in Proverbs where it talks about the reality that sorrow saps a body of its strength. Mm -hmm. I think in some translations it it says bones, you know, but just Mm -hmm. that idea of, you know, sorrow just depletes our physical strength, you know, and that there is just exactly like what you were talking about. That's not just the spiritual heaviness and, and pain, but also it manifests itself physically. I was thinking about anxiety the other day, and I was... I was saying, I don't want to simply rest in that particular word. What, what is that word? People use it. What, what do they mean? And as I began to think of words to describe anxiety, they were all physical words. They were visceral. You, you feel it in your body. You feel it in your, in, your, in your very mind. And I recognize grief is a very similar way where grief is, is, is felt viscerally more than it's articulated with many words. You were just offering a little bit of a picture of what it may feel like to kind of wade through the grief of loss, you know, the loss of a family member or a child. But I think there are other causes of grief that we should be aware of uh, when we are trying to prepare to enter into a sufferer's experience. And so I wanted to kind of even get us thinking beyond the experience of death-related sadness, but the griefs that we may experience in other different losses. Can you talk maybe a little bit about that? Even in death-related sadnesses, this might seem like a, like a small matter, but a, a woman in our church who loved a pygmy hamster that she had. Now, a pygmy hamster, it seems like it's fairly low on the order of animals and animal intelligence. And I remember uh, thinking, this woman's hamster is going to be dying soon, pygmy hamster. And I wasn't feeling very compassionate about it all because they're a dime a dozen and it only lasts six months in the first place. But I think what the Spirit offered me at that point, it it was another turning point in my life. I need to pray. I really need to pray that I would be able to love this person in my small group well. And the Lord was very gracious and what was impressed in my heart is we have a God who never minimizes our suffering. He never says, it's no big deal. He never says, well, here's somebody else's suffering, and what are you complaining about? You know, their suffering is so much worse than your own. He's like a, a human being who's a fine lover of, of, of our souls, person who loves you well. They will be moved by the things that move you. It's, if it is overwhelming to you, they will share in it with you. So even in death, there are some things that don't seem to, might not seem that significant as we try to put ourselves in their position. But, but the critical thing is, what is it like for them? Um, so, so even in death, death of a pet, it can be something. Some other things I think of, certainly a kind of death of love in relationship, the, the brokenness in a relationship with a good friend. We live in an environment where relationships, I, I, I've known broken relationships because of the polarization that we experience that has been grievous, utterly grievous. So polarization between good friends, anybody who has gone through a broken, especially a broken marriage after vows have been taken, certainly th- that loss is, is overwhelming initially and it persists. I think especially what we're thinking about are griefs that that have some kind of endurance. Next week, they're still going to be there. Many of them next year, next decade, they're going to be there. But those would be some. I'll give one other category. I know I have two friends where it was, for different reasons, it was a career track 
that they had been working on their entire lives methodically, wisely, and through different circumstances, they lost those opportunities and, and were directed in a very, very different place. It didn't seem quite as suitable to either of them. And there's a certain grief. What is it? Loss. We're losing something important to us. So there's some of the things that I have, I have seen around me recently. Any other thing you're thinking about? I really resonated with what you were talking about, just in terms of not comparing griefs. You know, I thought back to a time when we had went through a house fire and we were displaced. I mean, we we basically couldn't live in our home and took a really long time to fix, and all of our stuff was taken out of our house. Yeah, you know, come on, Christine, you're still. <laughs> yeah, you know, I assume that no life was lost in the house fire. No life was lost, so yeah. this was not yeah. death death related sadness. I'm, I'm tempted to ask: Did anybody say, "Well"? I'm so glad that no life was lost in it. But I was also glad. And so the, it wasn't that it was a wrong right. comment. Mm-hmm. It was it was a gratitude that we certainly mm-hmm. had. Mm-hmm. But the phrase that I kept not only hearing, but then also saying to myself was that it could have been worse. And it was true. It could have been worse. But what the Lord really ministered to me in that season was that just because it could be worse doesn't mean it isn't hard. And this was hard <laughs> no, for me. That's lovely. You know, and so I almost used that phrase of it could be worse, it could be worse to really disengage from my pain and from my confusion and kind of be like, oh, well, I really have nothing, you know, that I need to be so upset about because this really shouldn't be that hard for you. And it's like, well, It is. It is completely disorienting to lose all of your possessions in a 20-minute fire that shifts your world upside down for a 12-month period. I've lived long enough to know other people have gone through that. And and one of the things I've learned is that their grief, it persists. And it it is accentuated every couple of weeks when they remember, oh, that's gone. Oh, that's gone. Oh, that is gone. That's one thing. The, the other thing you're saying, I think it's really worth identifying, that sense that we can, we can speak to ourselves and say, well, it could be worse. You know, I'm, I'm thankful for this. Other people can say those things as well. I think the, the danger in that is that we never turn to Jesus. We never say, Jesus, this was really hard. This is, this is so hard. It's harder than I anticipated. Help, please help. What kind of help? Well, sometimes we don't even know what kind of help. In the midst of grief, it's like your mind is a fog. And, and so help, just help. If we can think a little bit more, we might think Second Corinthians chapter 1. You are the God of all comfort. I have no idea what comfort means right now, but that's the way I would like to be helped. To say or to hear it could be worse is to subtly distance ourselves from important things we should be saying to the Lord, which he invites and desires us to say. And it's to bring silence in our relationship with the Lord. And that's the last thing we want to do in the midst of grief. In the book, you encourage us to consider how we as caregivers or as people helpers, as friends who want to comfort someone who's walking through grief, how we engage our troubles and grief is important. And you write that quote, how you respond will shape how you help others. So meaning how we respond to our own troubles and griefs, kind of like what we were just talking about and the self-talk that might be going on or not going on with the Lord. Um, Can you explain why it's true that how we engage our own troubles and grief is going to shape the way that we help and serve others? Well, it's a complicated one. I think I was getting at a few things with that. One is the kind of golden rule. What has been good for our own souls in the midst of the miseries and grief of life? Well, it 
could well be those things would be good for another person. But it's not that simple. Um, we can know that, for example, that receiving advice from other people was not good for our souls. We can know that. But that doesn't keep us from giving advice to others in the midst of their own grief, whether it's diet or exercise or routines or whatever it might be. So, so even if we have gone through grief, it's a good start to consider what has been helpful for me. It's a good start. It's a place to start, but it's only a place to begin. Another way it can get complicated. How did I go through grief? Well, it might be a grief that we experienced with a person who was very distant from us. When we're thinking of a childhood friend that we heard of, and we compare that grief to the grief of somebody who's just lost a spouse. Um, okay, yeah, I know something about grief. Well, there's, there's no connection between the two. They're categorically different. So to be aware of how we have gone through grief and how we've been helped in our grief is a way to begin to consider how do we care for other people, but it is only a place to begin. Would you say that if we struggle to engage our own emotions in the midst of grief, that we will probably struggle to offer compassionate and humble care to those who are walking through? Chances are, if we struggle to engage with our own grief, we will be relatively silent in the face of another person's grief. Um, Because what did we do about it? We didn't do anything about it. Uh, And so you offer another person the same thing that you felt like you had. I really appreciate that in chapter two of the book, you highlight the reality that to engage grief with compassion and humility requires the pursuit of Christ's wisdom, even before the pursuit of personal skill. And this is a you know a conversation on engaging grief. And so I know our listeners are probably waiting for that list of steps, you know, <laughs> to do. Okay, here's the checklist, here's the things to do, here's what not to do. But I love how you kind of slow us down as readers and you say, look, before we even get to that and try to enhance our personal skill, you say, let's focus first on Christ's wisdom and how that applies to this situation. So what does Christ's wisdom have to do with the way that we respond to the sufferings of others? What is motivating us in this conversation is that either we have not been helped by others in the midst of our own difficulties, or we know other people who have not been helped. Uh, So we, we are alerted to that particular problem. And what we want to do is we want to grow. We want to grow in the skills and the love, the compassion of caring for other people. That's the beginning of it. And what we do as people who are followers of Christ is, this is what we would like to be natural to us. We say, Jesus, help. (laughs) Jesus help. I am not that great in this particular skill and I've seen it and just making an intentional decision to to grow in it is not going to be enough. It's heading in in some ways a good direction, but it is not enough. Um, So what is the nature of living under the wisdom of Christ? One is there's a certain humility. We live under another. We are dependent on him. We know that if we are going to be able to care for the souls of other people who are going through loss and grief, that we need Christ and the wisdom that he brings to us in the midst of our own misery. So so part of the wisdom of Christ is we recognize that we live under him, and that brings a certain humility to our desire to grow in, in our skills. I think another is that as we live under the wisdom of Christ, we know that we are both 
forgiven and, and profoundly loved. And that does all kinds of things, but, but certainly among them is that it frees us to be able to consider others rather than concerned about our own reputation in the, as we speak to another person, rather than I have to say the right words to the other person. And what are those right words? When we start thinking, what are the right words? We, we lose track of who the person is. So living under the wisdom of Christ and, and in what Christ has done, it, it gives us more freedom. And then living under the wisdom of Christ, it gives us an aspiration. There is a wisdom out there that most likely will not simply be dumped onto my lap. It will be hard fought and it will be slow, uh, but it will be good. How do we live under the wisdom of Christ? We read books. How do we help others? What are, what are good words to say? What are, what are words that are unhelpful? We, we ask our friends who have gone through grief, what has been helpful for you? What hasn't been helpful for you? We watch Jesus as he moves through life and Care is almost too weak a word, his holy care for those who are needy and grieving around him. So to begin with the wisdom of Christ is, in some ways, it's just natural. But with this particular issue, we can think that, hey, we can do this on our own. We can grow in these things. And, and certainly there are many non-Christians who have grown in these skills, and they're, they're great at them. But we want something better. <laughs> we want them to be driven down into Christ and because of Christ. That's that, that is our pleasure, and that's the way we want to live. Gosh, I'm so glad you mentioned about seeking the wisdom of Christ through just observing how he engages hurting hearts in the Gospels. I mean, all throughout the, the scriptures, of course, but specifically during his time here on earth. I don't think there's going to be one time in those observations where you see him singing songs to a heavy heart, as Proverbs mm -hmm. 2520 would say. You know, he's not going to be the one who is speaking to someone in a way that is like pouring vinegar on a wound. So when I hear you talk of that, that's the kind of wisdom that I think of that Christ offers through his word and through his actions that we are called to imitate. I love how you just said the holy care. I was studying the word majestic that I was reading out of Psalm 8 today. And one of the meanings of that word that's used is goodly. It's a goodly care. And I don't know why I really like that word today, but I wanted to offer that in this conversation because it's, yes, a holy care, but a goodly care that just surpasses anything that we in our human wisdom could possibly offer. Good and goodly are some of the biggest words in scripture. We use the word often, but in scripture, it is so crammed with these beautiful, these beautiful ways that our God is good in mm -hmm. the most amazing sense. Uh, thank you. That's helpful. I have another question to ask, but I want to just do a follow-up on this real quick to push back a little and and because somebody might be listening to us talking about Christ's wisdom and they might say, well, does the order really matter all that much? It doesn't really matter that Christ's wisdom comes first as I try to grow in my ability to compassionately care or counsel someone who's walking through grief. So maybe you can touch on like, are there dangers to trying to pursue personal skill apart from or even ahead of Christ's wisdom? Can people care well for each other without Christ? Absolutely. Absolutely they can. They, they do all the time. And we have opportunities to even overhear such things. I suspect every single day, in some context, I hear people who know nothing about Jesus Christ, who are unusually caring for others. So can we sort of leapfrog over Jesus and just get down to it? Well, we could. 
it's simply not the way we live life. It's and that that's one way to put it. Well, why would we do such a thing um, uh, when all of life is by faith? All of life is by dependence. And I think I, I would also say that sometimes just forging out on our own, I can do this, I can learn these things. It lacks the requisite humility that comes with saying, Jesus, I need you. That is going to be certainly one of the character strengths that we want to grow in if we're going to care for people well. Well, Ed, while there is no lack of how-to lists available online when it comes to grief care or counseling, you write that quote, Scripture takes us beyond list. It reshapes our hearts with compassion and humility so that we can invent new ways to bless. Then you highlight two particular vantage points from which we can care for someone who is navigating grief. So I wonder if you could share with us uh, what are those two vantage points and how do they shape the way that we care well for people? Certainly we can have a script uh, with those who are grieving and to have some idea of, of what is helpful and what is not helpful, I think is really very important. But what we want to do is have this freedom to be able to go off script. See, the problem with the script is it stands in the way of love. It's, it's I'm thinking about my script rather than thinking about that particular person. You know, we can, we can identify all kinds of ways that character strengths we want to grow in. But I do find that humility and love, especially a compassionate love, are at the forefront in growing for caring for others. What is humility? Humility is to, as we move toward another person, to never assume that we know what it's like for them. To go with a, I need Christ in the midst of this, and I need them as well. I want to hear from their hearts the uniqueness of their particular miseries. That's, that's what I want. Of course, one of the most prominent errors that we make in caring for other people is we dispense advice. What's wrong with advice? We're trying to, in some ways, we're trying to interrupt the grief in a person's life. If you do this, it will make it feel better. Advice is unhelpful on all kinds of different levels. But one kind of level is that you are, there's, there's not a humility, but there's a certain arrogance. I know what will help you. I am the professional here. I am the expert here. And and just at the time when a person needs a friend, somebody to be with them, you've moved into a different category. They become a kind of student and you become the professional consultant and you give them a list of things they need to do. Then off you go to somebody else. So you can see how humility would interrupt that sort of most prominent problem that, that we bring. The other would be compassion. If humility is there's so many things I don't know, and I want to learn. I want to understand your heart over the next day, over the next week, over the next month. What would help me to know what it's like for you? If humility is wanting to live under another person, as we live under Christ, compassion is, it's a love, but it's, it's a kind of turbocharged love. It's like a love that we feel in our very bones. You know, it's, it's a love that doesn't just settle for I understand what it's like. It's I am moved by what it's like. A compassionate person, for example, is a person who is you're telling is saying something hard. You can see, you can see it in their face. You can see them almost doubling over just a little bit as they are moved by the burden that you have. And they are the nature of love is it 
brings us together and we, we share in that burden together. So yeah, we want to have some kind of script. We want to learn words that are, would be helpful. But, but what we want to do is, is we want something that liberates us to, to grow for the rest of our lives in these things. And, and my own experience, my own understanding of scripture is humility and compassion, growing in those. That's the foundation for growing in wise care for others. I remember watching a video, Johnny Erickson Tata puts out a lot of video content online. And a long time ago, one of those videos, I think it was that she broke apart the word compassion into two parts, calm and passion, and mm, calm mm-hmm. meaning with passion, meaning suffering. And so thinking about the word compassion, we can think of it as, you know, with suffering, meaning we're with people in their suffering, you know, yep. walking mm-hmm. with them patiently and with humility, like you were just talking about. And, and compassion, the nature of compassion, that, that version of love, it generates new ways to, to love. And, and so as you're, as you're talking, I'm thinking, what does that look like? Um, it looks like somebody, you have no idea what to say, but you go up and say, my heart is, is broken in some small way with you. Thank you for being willing to talk about the, the grief that you have and allowing us to enter in. What is that? It's, it seems weak. It seems like it's not offering much, but it is, it's a person who is utterly isolated in their grief uh, and, and a community is coming close. That would be just one example. As you're talking, I was thinking that's one, one way compassion could be enacted. My wife and I are going to be going out to dinner with some friends this evening. And I was and both of us were thinking the other night, uh, they had a great loss a few years ago. And simply be able to say, we want you to know that that, that loss is, is something that is on our hearts. Consist- it's on our hearts every single week. As we think about the person you lost and as we think about the two of you. That's the nature of compassion. It, it has a long half-life. It, it it doesn't just last for for the moment. It it uh, persists into the next week and even the next year. While you say that scripture does take us beyond list, you do end up offering practical helps and cautions for us to consider as we seek to offer Christ-like care. So this is going to be a two-part question. I'll ask this first one first. What are some hurtful ways we might engage a grieving person in conversation? I'll do something preliminary first. What we want to do is we want to we want to develop these lists. Yeah, we want to grow in compassion and humility, but wisdom really does hit the ground. And and part of hitting the ground is what is helpful and what is unhelpful. That's just a normal part of wisdom. It's a question we should all be asking ourselves and and filling up with different content. But I'll I'll just mention some of the ones that I think are all of us would be alert to. At least. Anything on the far side of at least is probably something you should ask forgiveness for. At least you still have a child. At least your family is still healthy after your house burned down. At least he is in a better place. At least her suffering is over. Anything after at least is lacking compassion. You are skipping compassion and not bearing that burden with the other person. So that'd be one. There are dozens of them. Christine, you're going to have to stop me. But I'll just see if I can uh, hit the the ones that are most prominent. Uh, here's one. Yeah, you know that that happened to me one time. 
we take an analogous situation in our own life and we begin to talk about it, which in the best of circumstances, we can say that is an attempt to say, I understand and I'm with you in it. And in the best, that, that's the best way we can paint it. But what it does is, is it changes the topic. Compassion wants to know the person who is loved. The nature of compassion is, tell me more. What are the details? Tell me the details. Um, if it's a person who is lost, for example, tell me more about him. Tell me more about her. That's the nature of compassion. When we change the topic and make it ourselves, basically, I think what the other person would wisely do is recognize this is probably not the person with whom I will share my heart. Um, you, you intuitively make those kinds of decisions. Nothing. That was probably the first thing on my list. Uh, that nothing is one of the worst things that you can say. Other things that would, would demonstrate a lack of humility, what is God trying to teach you in this? What is God trying to teach you? In other words, uh, suffering is a kind of riddle to figure out. And once we figure it out, then things will get a little bit better. Anything after the word just, anything after the word just would be a lack of humility where we think somehow we can have a simple explanation and a simple treatment for a problem that goes through our entire being. And the, the, after the just can be good things, just pray. Just read your Bible. Just go out for a walk every day. Just brush your teeth. Just have a vegetable smoothie, whatever it might be. You know, they, you know, they can be good and they can be sort of inane, but anything on the far side of just is usually an example of we don't understand and we think we, we might. Those would be some, I think, that would be on most of our lists. And as I'm listening, I'm locating my own passwords and what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And so I think all of us can, from one degree or another, realize that in a, a desperate attempt or even an awkward attempt sometimes to try to be helpful to someone, we may offer harsh or hasty words, not on purpose, but mm -hmm. because we just fumble. How can we redeem our care? How can we say, okay, well, that's what I used to say, but I really want to ask for the Lord's help in engaging in a different, more redemptive, compassionate way. And so what would be some suggestions on ways where we can extend compassionate invitations to those who are grieving to participate in a conversation? I am so sorry. I am so sorry. What's that mean? That I, in some small way, I bear that sorrow with you and I am thankful to be able to bear that sorrow along with you. Um, I just wanted you to know, I am so, so sorry, and hope to speak to you more and, and learn how to pray for you in the midst of this. That would be, that would be one. We don't want to say nothing. How do we say something? We don't want to somehow, all of a sudden, the person whose grief has been made, made public, we, you know, it's, it's, usually if it's a significant loss, other people would know. Um, and that person comes to church for the first time after the event happened, and it's as if they have 10 feet, feet of personal space suddenly surrounding them and very few people coming in. So say something, and I'm sorry is, is certainly enough. Do something, and if you don't know what to do, ask a friend. Is there something we could do for this person? And from a meal to going for a walk with him or her, to, to say something and to do something. Um, uh, here's one. If we have a little bit more time, please, could you talk to me? Could you help me to know your son, your father, your mother, your spouse in the way that you did? Could you help me to know that particular person? 
Now that takes a little bit more time and it's not gonna be the first question you ask, but it's in the nature of compassion. You want to share in that person's affections. You, you want, in some ways you want, to, you want to love that person and appreciate and admire that person in a similar way that, that the person who lost does. Thank you would be another one. Thank you so much for your willingness to share your heart on these things. It is a gift to us to, tr- to enter in in some small way. To next week or next month, to go up and say, I, I just want you to know, you have been on my heart. You have been on my heart, and I hope you stay on my heart. We're with you in this. In some way, we, we're with you in it. And then in six months, you say the same thing. And maybe, maybe in six months, you might say, could I ask you a question? How are you now? And what are ways that I can pray for you? It's not the first kind of question we would ask because the person who would say, well, how are you? Well, I am falling apart. I want to die. I, I mean, what do you mean, how am I? How could you ask such a question? But there might be a time to ask that question a month later or six months later. And then a year later to say, I want you to know you're on my heart. <laughs> you're on my heart. Is there any one way in particular? Here's the way I have prayed for you. Is there any other way? Is there any one way I can pray for your heart now? Those would be some things that I have learned to say and I'm grateful to be able to say, still say them with many friends. Thank you. Yeah, just a a few different angles on, you know, inviting someone to, like you say, share their heart if they feel like they're in a position to do that and they feel like they want to, which is not always the case, of course. A couple in our church who who love people well and are compassionate. Compassionate in the sense they love deeply from the heart and it's and the other people who they love, they stick to them. They they remember them. There's a woman in our church who has gone through a divorce and sometimes she'll come into church a little bit late. I think for various reasons, but one is she'd rather not talk that much because it's just so hard to talk. And if they come in late and she sees them, she sees her, this couple sees her coming in, they will follow her wherever she goes and sit right next to her. She never sits alone. It's beautiful. It's, it's moving to that woman. It's moving to, it's moving to me, obviously. So anyway, I'm just, you know, you're getting me thinking what, what are ways that, that are the wise people have loved. It plays right off of what you were talking about is that we don't, you know, grief care doesn't always involve saying something. Mm -hmm. I mean, we want to acknowledge, you know, the person's sorrow, but to do something. And sometimes we do without words, right? Mm -hmm. What you're talking about, you know, just that ministry of presence can be so powerful and a manifestation of Jesus's presence with them in the midst of that isolating time. Excuse me, you got me thinking again. and, And I don't know if my wife and I have done this, but we've done things like it, but the ministry of presence. Okay, you have no idea what to say. You feel like you have no words for it. You are undone yourself because of what's happened to another person. Perhaps to knock on their door and say, you probably know this, but we just wanted to tell you that we loved you. That's all. (laughs) And maybe leave a little little gift for them or something like that. Um, Those are the kinds of things that, isn't isn't it true that the way the spirit works it tends to be those little things that, that somehow remind them that Jesus cares for them and, and loves them and uses the body of Christ to do it. All right, I'll stop there, Christine. <laughs> I, I won't keep thinking of ideas, but as you're, as you're talking, I, yeah, you got me. You got me thinking of all kinds of other ways to love. So, so thank yeah. you. 
Well, and that's just exactly what you wrote about is that scripture that you're talking about, you're talking about a concern for someone else and that we are afflicted with someone else's affliction and that it, that process of of Christ-like care and walking with you know Jesus and the wisdom he offers as we care for grieving people reshapes our hearts so that we invent new ways to bless mm-hmm. like that's yeah. you're thinking of new ways here right now right. on the fly as yeah. we're talking and All that's right. the I'll try to I'll freedom. try to stop for just a moment I think you had another question or two <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but I might not be able to answer it if you give me any more <laughs> ideas so well, thinking, you know, I love that you actually just mentioned the church and, and something that has that you've witnessed there on, on Sunday mornings at church, because my next question is to ask about what the local church can do to improve upon their care for those who are grieving. We are the Institute for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship, and we love to equip the local church for one another care. And so I'd be remiss to not bring the conversation to, to this particular point for just a few minutes. So do you have anything you might be able to offer to leaders, pastors, who are listening who may want to cultivate a culture of care in their church, specifically for those who are walking through grief. Every leader in the church should, it seems to me, it would, it would be wise for them to know, here's what's happening in their church. People are being cared for, for well, and people are being cared for poorly. So how can we as a community grow in these things? It's worth a sermon. What does love look like? Take an example of of the love of Christ in in just one of the episodes in Scripture and say that there are things about Jesus that are not us. We are not the divine son. You know, we are not the, the eternal one who sits on the throne. But there's so many things about Jesus that he gives to us. And his wise compassion is one of them. Uh, for a pastor to be able to to sort of direct by way of a sermon, then to do things similar to what we're doing right now. Here's some examples of, of wise compassion. Humility shows up in all kinds of places in the Scripture. Pride shows up in all kinds of places in the Scripture. To use that as an occasion to probably to talk about advice, it seems to me that is such a prominent way we can be discouraging to others to keep that in front of, of a church. There have been times where I've mentioned advice giving uh, in church. And it tends, sometimes I will talk about it in a marital situation when somebody has something on their heart and somebody gives advice and immediately people will laugh. They'll laugh in the sense that, oh yes, I know that because I have done it and that happens in our marriage all the time. I have both done it to my spouse and I have received it from my spouse. So my my point there is that it is such a well-known phenomenon and people want to do something different. But for some reason, we keep repeating the same problems. For a pastor to be able to stop on what does humility and love look like? And, and what is the problem in giving advice? You can see one of the things I'm suggesting with giving advice, it's it, at the moment when the person wants you near, you are becoming their teacher and they're becoming your student. You are accentuating the gap between you of, between the two of you. Uh, at the moment when compassion is the order of the day, you simply teach and have skipped compassion. So I think there are all kinds of occasions in, in preaching scripture. What else do we do? We seek personally to love. I'm, now I'm, I'm talking about a pastor. Now I'm talking about us as individuals in the church. We head out and we seek to love people well. And we pray for our church that we we'd be a, we'd be a community that does not discourage but encourages especially in those mis- most difficult times 
We are known by our love. That is our grand apologetic to the world around us. And this would be the most prominent way that love would be expressed in the midst of difficulties. How do we love during, in the midst of somebody's difficulties? For, for us to grow in this ourselves, to pray for our body of Christ, and, and to watch how it sort of catches fire with another person. I want to grow in this. I want to grow in this. Or, or perhaps, perhaps what happens is that we will have eyes to see people who do it really well. For example, this, this couple that always sits with this other woman. If you have eyes, how can we bless others rather than curse them who are going through difficulties? When you see other people blessing them, you're going to go up to them and say, you are amazing. You have been, a, you have, you have been an instruction to my own soul in the way you love this particular person. Thank you so much for how you love them, and thank you for how you've been inspiring me. You see, you see what's happening. It, it's, it begins with a personal desire. But from that personal desire, you see the good things that are going on in your church, and you, you speak about it which enhances it. Oh, I didn't even know I was doing that. Well, thank you for pointing it out. Um, and, and we're praying for each other that, that we wouldn't curse, but we would help. So it can be at either end. It could be at the pastoral end. We know that this problem is in our church. How do we, in, in our illustrations and sermons, how do we speak to it? Or how do we give ourselves one Sunday a year to be able to speak very specifically about the things we're talking about? It reaches to the leadership, but it also reaches to every single one of us as, as we grow in it. Again, isn't it true that this is the way that the Spirit is pleased to work in our church, that he grabs a hold of us? And chances are, if he's grabbing hold of us and, and giving us a, a, a new interest in how we love and causing us to pray about these things, isn't that the way the Spirit tends to work? He he works in us, and we see the dominoes begin to fall in the sense that he's working in another person and another person. So we can come at it from either side, the side of leadership, but more often it's the side of just regular old people. How can we grow and how can we pray that we, plural, would grow together? Awesome. Super helpful uh, insights there. Thank you for sharing them. We've got time for one more question. So I'm going to invite you to do something you've done a number of times on this podcast before, which is to speak directly to the audience. There may be a listener who feels ill-equipped to compassionately engage someone they know who is grieving. What would you say to this person to encourage them with the hope and help of Jesus Christ? Yeah, I can state the obvious. I have never known anyone, including myself, who has been helped by something that somebody said that was really smart and that was amazingly insightful. It's not the amazing insights that, that are helpful for our souls in the midst of our grief. It's the ordinary expressions of love. Sometimes it's just somebody coming up to you and hugging you and not saying a word because if they said a word, they would begin to cry. That's actually available to all of us. We can all do those kinds of things. Um, uh, and I, I think of men with other men, just to go up and hug the other person, women with other women. Um, so please recognize that, that God has called us as ordinary people to do the work of ministry, and he equips us to do it, and he chooses to do it in, in small acts that seem very powerless, small acts of love before others. And in that, the church grows and, and heavenly beings 
observe and say, oh, oh, that's, that's what Christ has done. <laughs> that's what it looks like to see the Spirit in somebody's life. We would like to say something smart. If we want to say something smart, we go back and rely on the wisdom of Christ and say, Lord, help and teach me. Teach me a word of love and care for this particular person. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Christine. That's, a, that's an excellent reminder that you point to us, that we can feel like we don't have the words to say, but uh, the Spirit can give them if we don't know how, and we can learn from others. We can ask them questions. What, what have you said to this person? What would be helpful? That's the nature of humility. And we stick at it until we have something to offer that is more than nothing. That's, that's, uh, that's the way of wisdom. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for those words of encouragement. I want to let the listener know that if you're interested in learning more about Ed's book entitled Someone I Know is Grieving, Caring with Humility and Compassion, you can scroll down to the show notes, click the link there, and that will take you to a page on IVCD's website where you can get access to all that information. So thanks again, Ed, for joining us today for this conversation. I hope that the listeners were blessed. I know I was blessed. So thank you so much. I'm refreshed and looking forward to gathering with uh, with my small group uh, the next couple of days. You've given me all kinds of things to do, so thanks. Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode. If you enjoyed this conversation, why not subscribe to the podcast? That way you'll be notified when new episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help podcast a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. Thanks so much for joining us for today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help podcast.